and welcome to episode 54 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger and my guest today is Anne Thompson, undoubtedly one of Australia's most significant artists. She's been painting for over 60 years, has exhibited in over 40 solo shows and there's no sign of her slowing down. Her works are filled with colour and movement which command the viewer's attention. They're all about feeling and touch, delving into abstraction in her unique way. She's won the Wynn Prize, the Kadumba Drawing Prize, the Tattersall's Art Prize and others. She's also an acclaimed sculptor and, as with her paintings, likes to work in large scale. Her incredible installation selected for the Seville Expo in 1992 was 11 metres high and took three months to complete when it was shipped over to Spain. I had a great conversation with Anne in her huge studio in Sydney's eastern suburbs. We talked about why we need musicians and artists, what makes a strong painting, how to tap into creativity and lots more. Her work is included in a show coming up at Defiance Gallery called Six Artists, Seven Days, which is a couple of weeks after this podcast goes online. I was also lucky enough to get some video of Anne actually painting in her studio. I'll be getting that online a few days after this episode goes up and that will be available on the Talking With Painters YouTube channel, on Facebook and the website and Instagram. And of course, all the works we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. Anne grew up in Brisbane and we start this episode at a time when she was nine years old. Our school was closed down because it was during the Second World War. Oh, and we thought the, uh, this is what they said in those days, the Japanese were coming. Um, and... Uh, Gee, that and was, were you frightened? By no, that? no, it was just another story. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, my, my f- friend, Annika, was in the war. You know, she's sort of a bit younger than me, but she was in Holland and it was, you know, she was... St- they were starving and cold and things. You know, we were just hearing about it. It mm-hmm. was, you know, so uh, anyway, the school cl- closed down and we went to Mrs. Brazier's place to do our lessons. And she put up a still life, which I painted, and I just could paint. And I, and I suppose that, you know, that was one thing. But um, I just always uh, loved it. It was something that I was good at. Mm. But I was also interested in, I, I remember when I was five, walking up to the music teacher's house and saying, can I have music lessons? And then, then I, I wasn't allowed to go. I mean, was, you know, I, I can blame my parents for a lot, but they were actually wonderful. And, uh, and, and uh, we had a bookshop, Thompson's Bookstore, and I read a lot. And so it was a great upbringing. Ah, right, so but your parents... I didn't know a lot of artists, and neither did they, really. Ah, so what did they think when you said that you wanted to... Pursue art. Well, they thought I should go to business college. Didn't <laughs> 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 <Divert> it. <laughs> and what did what did you what did you think of it? I mean, were you really driven to pursue art after school? Uh, yes, yes, and I went to all sorts of art classes, and uh, we we used to go to uh, Richard Rodier Rivon, which was across the other side of town, and and then uh, Mulvig, John Mulvig came to Brisbane and had uh, art classes in. Uh, St Mary's Church Hall, and, uh, and he was an expressionist painter. Yes, wasn't he? yes. Yeah. So he was a big influence, an early influence, and and then I got to know all the artists who were around, and and we had a, a, something called the Queensland Younger Artists Group, oh, and yeah. Betty Churcher was in that, and oh. uh, you know a lot of people who became artists, and um, so artists are drawn together, you know. And then I was very lucky. Uh, I was sent to a school where all the teachers were artists. They're all women, but they're all real artists. Caroline Barker and and uh, this is in Brisbane. Pat Prentice and, and yes, mm. ah, okay. Church and people. You know, so so we had an art room, and I used to you know, go there a lot. And when mm. and so you were you then. Went to the um, to East Sydney Tech ultimately. I think you came yes. down to Sydney, but you couldn't yes. actually. You didn't immediately go to East Sydney no, Tech. No, I, I had to go to I had to go night night school at, at night time. And but but I had uh, Passmore and then 
I went to Orban's class. I was just, you know, after it. And by the time yeah. I really got into art school, I'd done 10 years of part-time. So, so then I got a, right. I got a mature age scholarship, I think. But not straight away. I, was, I had to work. And mm. So what was it, it was like going to hard. Sydney? I mean, did you know anyone in Sydney? Or um, was it, why did you decide to go to Sydney? Oh, I just always to... wanted to go to Sydney, uh, Sydney Art School. I didn't want to go to the Brisbane Art School because I'd had a bit of... I'd been there and they wanted me to draw the kangaroo that was on a penny and I didn't think that was terribly exciting. <laughs> 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 and so, so uh, my, uh, my sights were set... For Sydney, yeah, in East Sydney Tech, which so I what knew a lot that, about. What was that oh. like when oh, you? Oh, before I leave Brisbane, yeah. there was um, uh, Brian, uh, Brian and Marjorie Johnson's gallery, and they brought a lot of artists from the south and from other pla places. Oh, okay. And you might even I remember running running into uh, Robert Helpman there once. You know, that was a sort of cultural centre. So I think. Creative, the creative people are drawn together, you know, somehow. You mm. want to find other people who had got the same interest and you don't know what it is, you know, really. You so know. that was like a bit of a hub, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you made your own, yeah. So when you came to Sydney, after that period of time, so you finally ended up the national, what is now the National Arts School. Mm. That's, that must have been a pretty exciting time because I think it's the late 50s, early 60s that you were yes, there. Yes, yes. Um, mm. When there's a lot, a lot happening in the world as far as art goes. Um, mm. Like sort of mm. pop art was around the corner. Well, the expression has been mm. around for a long time. Yes, but yes. We were really close to what was happening in America. I don't know why. It was just, that's where it was, you know, that's where abstract expressionism was happening. Mm. And... Uh, and it was very popular then, and, and, and those artists even came to Australia. I met uh, Ken Noland, and he said, oh, when you're in, in America, come and see me. And, and I did, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, you'd bring them up and say, hello, I'm Ann Thompson. And uh, <laughs> 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 I remember, oh, you want to come on out here? I went to his studio in Vermont. And, and, uh, oh, and then right. uh, and he had assistants, and there was a lot of activity there. And... Uh, he was doing very well at the time. And he said, go and look over the hill because it was snowing. And, and I did. And I, down in the valley, there were acres of Anthony Caro and, uh, and not St. John's, what was his name? Smith sculptures. And they were just storing them because they weren't selling then. So, uh, you know, it was just a very exciting time in New York when I, went, when I first went there. Recently in Paris, I saw an exhibition of the Americans who went to uh, uh, Givenet because they, were, they knew about Monet. In fact, they were more excited about Monet than the French and brought him into focus. And uh, so the, there was a great exhibition at the Orangerie when I was there just recently. Um, of the American artists that yes. visited. Oh, yes. Okay. So they got a lot from the French. I got a lot from them. Mm -hmm. Then I went back to the French. And so, you know, I think that sort of uh, rolling back of history is very important to an artist. How important uh, was drawing to you in at, at art school? Did you... Mm. Did, did, was that an important part of your um, it, education? It was, yes, yes. I think I mention often that we had this uh, drawing teacher called Dorothy Dundas, and there weren't many women artists that te teaching at art school. Right. But she was the wife of Dundas, who was the head of the art school, right. and we were very lucky to have her because she was the first person who... She got me thinking in three dimensions. Mm. And because she, she would draw contours around a figure. It was never about drawing about the edge of the object you would, you were drawing. So you would draw into it, and uh, so I became very three-dimensional in my thinking. I think then mm -hmm. I also w uh, went to sculpture classes because they wanted me to do something I didn't want to do, like paint antiques and <laughs> draw antiques. <laughs> so, so I went oh. to uh, Dadswell's class. He was very exciting. Oh, right. But I remember one of the great things about art school was running into the, the teachers who would come from their studios to teach us in the grounds of the East Sydney Tech and having great talks. About and what? About what they were doing? Yeah, or? about 
life and art. Oh, yeah, and right. uh, no, what you, no, they'd ask you what you were doing, what you were reading, what you were doing. We just had great talks, mm. and and also in the library that was you know it was wonderful. We, we had books and we read a lot. It was very stimulating. Mm. So it was like they were your equals in a way. No. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they, oh, no. they were the masters, yes, oh, okay. yes, yes, yes. And people would say, oh, what did Passmore say to you? No, he wasn't, he wasn't an, an equal. Oh. No, and I think they were the ones that, yeah, I think we had, we revered them, or I did. Mm. Uh, mm. Oh, I suppose people criticised people too as well, you know, but, but it was, in, that's what I remember. So after art school, you got your first solo show pretty quickly. I mean, it was 1965, mm. and I'm really interested mm. to know mm. what that was like because it was at Waters Gallery, mm. and it must have been very rare for a woman to have a solo show. Well, it was a lifesaver, really. You know, I mean, all those women who were at art school, and there were more than the men, what happened to them, you know? Oh, there was more women than men. Oh, I think so. I think if you look at the statistics, I mean, I wasn't I'm not sure, but, yeah. but uh, a lot of women went to art school and, uh, and they were good artists. And uh, I remember someone called Wilga Stokes and she said, I run to the art room and she <laughs> run up the stairs and start painting <laughs> so she could, get, you know, have that momentum. <laughs> and, uh, but... See, then we got married and we had children, but I had already exhibited. In fact, I was pregnant with my first uh, daughter, Kate, at that stage, yeah. at the opening, right. I remember. And uh, so what happened was uh, I married Robert Walker. We had a house at number three Glenmore Road, and I had a, the top room I used as a studio, and Frank Waters came to look at my work. Now, I don't know how that occurred, and he said, oh, yes, we'll give you an exhibition. They just, he just had started that little gallery in Liverpool Street, which mm. was the first Waters. So as you say, you, you were pregnant with your first child um, at that point with your first show, mm -hmm. and then there was a break after that and yes, your second show, yes. which was 1974. Mm. Um, how did you, did, did you manage to sort of keep your eye on the ball to get that next show uh, which was a, quite a few years later. Well, I thought, oh, I'll have a couple of children and then I'll have another exhibition and, uh, you know, it'll be... It, so it'll... It takes a bit of time out, perhaps a couple of years. It was eight years before I showed again. Mm. And... Uh, but I was teaching art at Skeggs and I was because very excited school. by what yeah. there was... Yes, school in Darlinghurst. Yeah. And... Uh, because I couldn't get a job at an art school, like the boys who left... Oh, I applied right. and applied and applied to teach. But uh, anyway, I was very lucky to get a, this, this job at Skeggs working with Enid Cambridge, who ran the art, art classes there. Mm. And I would be so excited, but I'd come home and, and it was exhausting, you know. Yeah. But I never stopped thinking about it. And I remember having a little notebook beside my bed and I'd draw, draw little things, you know, a little drawing book. But... Uh, I suppose, you know, not a lot happened in those years. And then I started to be able to paint in the middle of the night. I found I had a bit of time if I put the children to bed and fall asleep <laughs> patting them. And then I'd get up and go to the studio and paint. Oh, really? <laughs> until I got, oh, right. Yes. In, yes. So in the, literally in the middle literally of the night? Literally in the middle of the night. Oh, so you must have had a space where you could do yes, that? Yes, I had a space, yes. Yeah. Your next show was in 1974, but then, so you, you, and from that time, basically, you were exhibiting regularly, you know, after yes. that. But um, I'm going to take you to the 80s, because mm. that was a particularly productive decade for you. You're mm. prolific, and mm. you're commercially very successful, and have been since then. And there's one painting in particular that really caught my eye, and that was a, uh, a commission work, actually, which was commissioned by the Darling Harbour Authority. And for people who don't know Darling Harbour, it's a, a sort of harbour within Sydney Harbour, and it is called Ebb Tide. And I think the brief was to paint the working harbour. Was that right? Is that what it, it was? No, there was no such brief, which is good, you know. Oh, right. And uh, 
I mean, sometimes to, to be asked to do something, I thought it was, it sounds a bit like a school pro project when people say, do this, you know. Um, no, I was just given a wall. Oh, okay, in the and convention centre. In the convention centre, yes, oh, yes. Oh, right. But it was, it was uh, near the harbour and so it just, I, I naturally just it, I gravitated. I just wanted to paint the harbour. Oh, I see. And in and my way, which was, you know, part invented and part known and mm. seen, remembered. Well, I'll just describe it briefly, uh, just quickly. It is a, a large, it's, it's five and a half metres long and four metres high. So it's huge. Mm. Um, and it's very, it's very blue. There's a, it's, it's predominantly blue with the expanse of water. And it's got sort of suggestions of, you know, boats in it. It's got lines, like orange and, and red lines across. And also, interestingly, it has this long brush line, well... I suppose you could call it a brush mark coming down out of a like a a pipe opening, like I'd it's say like water gushing out. Of yeah, a, water yes, gushing out like of a, a pipe opening, which is more or less a like sort hole. of yeah, like a porthole. <laughs> I understand you did like a lot of drawings to prepare for that work. Is that right? Oh yes. Now, now I take myself back there. Um, so I went down to Darling Harbour. To the wharf, you know, to appear to the, you know, remember all those piers that were available to artists in those days, oh, in a way. Yeah, like on Spaces. Hickson's Road. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, so I did a lot of drawings because I thought, you know, this was a bit scary, five and a half metres by four, and I was determined to fill the wall, yeah. whereas ev not every artist did. Right. Um, there were a few artists, weren't there? Like Brett Whiteley was yes, one of the ones yes, that was yes. commissioned as and, well. Uh, and, and then I had a, a studio at Potts Point at that stage in okay. uh, Darlinghurst Road. And so then I did a lot of um, works using gouache and things, and they were to be my studies. And then we were given a space to work, which was Pier 7, 8, I think, perhaps. Mm. Um, that was in Walsh and, Bay, In Walsh Bay, and... Yeah. Uh, and uh, Storia and Tim Storia and John Olson were given a space there as well, and then I pinned them all up on the walls, and I never looked at them. Really? <laughs> I forgot to look. So uh, that, I think I'm saying that because that says a lot about the way I work. You know, it goes in and comes out differently, and that's why it doesn't look like the original subject, perhaps. So when you say you were sharing that space with with um, John Olson mm. and Tim Storia, did you sort of did you bounce off each other at all? Did you sort of critique well, each other's work? Uh, happily, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when they finished a lot sooner than me, I, I picked the best spot which uh, Olson had had. <laughs> but uh, no, we used to go out to lunch and things like that, yeah. and uh, and yeah. it, it was good. But they. They seemed to be able to... That took a long time. But mine was high mm. and and uh, a paint... I mean, you can paint sort of 20 miles along and it's no, it's not even not really more difficult, but to paint a very... A high picture is hard. And, uh, because and, you have to I get on a ladder. a challenge. Yeah. And a ladder. I was on three-storey scaffolding. And... Uh, oh, OK. But I remember... Um, at one stage, I couldn't be bothered getting the third bit put up. I just wanted to do something, so I put two milk crates and on, oh <laughs> stood my on those. God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just I just well, loved doing hard. it. I suppose the hard thing with that is when you're doing a really big painting like that is to get back. You have to keep trying to get back from it. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, uh, so if you're up on scaffolding, it's hard to. Oh, do you that. have to keep up and down, up and down. I must say, I did my back in. It was, oh, you know, when I, when I finished, I just my back seized up. <laughs> mm. and, uh, and, mm. But uh, well, also, but I loved I loved the challenge of doing big things mm. somehow in those days. Mm. Mm. Well, on that point, actually, I've, I've read somewhere that you were saying that you um you were you were testing your ability to engage the entire surface of a large canvas, and that this was a bit of a breakthrough because mm. you were able to do that. Mm. What do you What do you mean by that? Like, what is the challenge of that? Um, it's. I think it's the it's um, the composition, and uh, and you're given something to paint on that has to work as a 
one thing. And uh, I, going through that painting, a lot of sort of lines connect, connecting sort of the painting, and uh, they're like threads. Can I take you to another painting, which is much more recent? So um, we're going to jump forward to 2016 mm -hmm. because uh, I really, one of your paintings that really caught my eye was that, was your painting which won the Tattlesall's Art Prize in 2016 called oh, yes. Breakwater. Oh, yes. Mm. It was an acrylic and collage on linen. And it's a it's a beautiful work. It's got a it's called breakwater. So it's and and it it does give the impression of a breakwater. It's got a, a real horizontal sort of rhythm to it. And it's got the blue in the sky and the blue. It's got the blue at the top and the bottom, which is is reminiscent of a sky and water. Mm. And then you've got this great sort of central band of of you know whites and red and, and yellow and you've got that tarred paper we were talking about before which is used you know you, you've used to collage how did that painting come about was it was it actually a breakwater that you were responding to or I don't know whether to tell you a secret but I name my paintings after they're finished <laughs> <laughs> so okay so that's really interesting so, so this is it more memory that you're working from? Or? Yes, but I was just swimming in uh, Brunswick Heads and there's a breakwater there and it looks like that. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. I mean, now it does. Um, I, it's almost impossible, isn't it, to talk about the, um, you know, the visual and remembered. Mm. And that's why I'm an artist, because I really can't really talk about it. Um, but to me, now that tarred paper looks like rocks and, uh, and, and I was, I remember at that stage I was using that format a lot of those, that passage going through the centre and, and the uh, blue underneath as well because I didn't, I just don't, I didn't want things to have a Horizon. I threw away the horizon a long time ago, mm. and then I might bring it back. Um, well, I suppose it's not your. So you don't see that as a landscape, as such, really. Uh, yes, I do. All yes, right. yes, I see it as a landscape because, uh, as a friend of mine said, anything outside the house is a landscape. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can see it as a landscape, but but uh, I think my paintings have a, a category which uh, uh, between landscape and abstraction and, uh, mm. and Anne Thompson made up paintings. Well, that's interesting because you're often described as an abstract artist. Mm. Do you see yourself as that? Do, do you categorise your own work in that way? Well, uh, not really because it's so much to, to do with what I know as well as what I don't know. And uh, and I think of abstraction. You, you know, you can either abstract something, or you can make an abstract painting, which is a constructed thing using abstract shapes. And then it it's it's not about a thing; it's about that. It's a, a new, so, so like Mondrian or something, mm, mm. or um, you know, truly abstract. And do you think so you're something you're in between? Uh, yeah. Mm. So, so, but you will usually start from a, a thing in a way, do you find? Not a subject, no. Whereas in talking to uh, Fairweather once, he said, I always start with a subject, but he was an abstract painter. Can, I can start with just a mark, you know. So it's not really a subject. Mm. The subject might come in. But it's what it looks like, you know, when it's finished if we're looking at this painting in particular. Mm. So in a way, you, you, you'll start something and then when it's finished, you might see something in it that it, you didn't intend at the beginning in a way? Yes, it becomes itself. But that's in varying degrees of order and disorder because some things are more intended to be like something and other things are, well, I relate, I relate um, painting to music in a way. 
and music can, you know, sometimes people say, say oh, that, you know, that takes you into a pastoral scene and you can see that. But people don't talk about music like that all the time. Music is music. Yeah, you're right. Mm. They're not trying to identify something. No, no but, it's, but it is a composition. Yeah. And, and so that's what I think of painting as being, you know. So. Yeah. It's funny because with music you think more of feeling, don't you? Yes, yes, that's right. And we haven't talked about feeling, but it's very much, my work is, or painting for me is very much to do with feeling and touch. And, uh, and then you're in that other realm. Yeah, because, yeah I've, I've read you talk about you don't paint things, you paint the other. Oh, yes. So that other that you're talking about is more of an emotional thing, do you think? Yes, that phrase, which uh, is something that I came upon as I started painting, you know, becoming an artist outside of art school and having my own studio. And, um, and then I found that I... When I was painting, I would go into that other space. It's like a meditation in a way. And, and uh, so I'm an artist who has to turn off the music and the other sound because I want to be just there. But some, some artists need music to sort of put them in, that, in their mm. space. Mm. Um, but, uh, Do you find it easy to get into that space? Like, will you get into that every day, every time you paint, do you think? To get into that space, for me, is always hard. <laughs> oh, really? In a way. Yeah. You have to mix up the paint and, um, and just do things to start it off, to get there. Because I always think what I'm going, it's impossible. Uh, you know, it's hard to, it's not a, not a just, an easy thing to do. It's, it's to get into that creative space. Do you feel that if the painting you feel, if you've entered the studio mm. and you look at what you did the day before and you think, oh, mm. that's going well, do, would that, would it be easier to get into that space again, do you think? No. <laughs> <laughs> so it hasn't got to do with how you feel about the work that's going on. Um, you've got to have tricks to, to get in. Yes. So for me, so that thing about you saying mixing the paint—that's yeah. like a way into it. Yes, yes, and you've got to make that first and take and take the risk of doing something. Because mm. I can sit here for a long time looking at, and thinking, wondering what to do. But when you're in it, it is a flow, you know. So, so that's good. Yes. Yeah, so I suppose when you're in that state of flow, then you're not. It's not as if you're consciously thinking, I'm drawing on this memory or I'm, I'm sort of drawing. You, you've really got to get thinking out of it. That's the thing. And, uh, and that's, that's the hard thing to do when you're in a... I, I recently saw this young uh, artist, Grace... Her, sorry, a, a musician, a violinist, who won the Young Australian Musician thing. And then I met the... Chinese composer who had written the thing that she played. It was at the Townsville Music Festival. And he said uh, she goes into, she meditates before she starts to play. Mm. And I think that's, that is a, you know, a good indication of, of the space that people need to be in to just take you out of the is to quieten the mind, basically. Mm. Get, try and get that chatter out of there. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. So you've just got to be that really there. Yeah. Mm, mm. Mm. Um, I just thought of something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because often I feel, oh, you know, today you should be talking about um, the environment and doing this and, you know, doing things. And I think, here I am just wasting so much paint and paper and canvas. And, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, what... What a creative person is taking the human, taking the mind into that other place. It's terribly important, mm -hmm. you know, to be, to be a creative person and, and f to have musicians and artists. And that's what, that's what is important for the world. And to be a little part of that is, is uh, something that we must do. 
I just want to take you also to another work uh, called The Glowing which was part of your show with Defiance Gallery, which was a, basically a survey of your work. At the Yellow House. That's right, mm. the Yellow House, mm. which was a, a very big show. Mm. It was a great show. And I wanted to talk about this work, The Glowing, which I can see why you called it The Glowing, now that I know you've named them after you've finished. <laughs> because it is glowing. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And it's a... Um, it's a it's a more probably a more abstract work, if I can say that, than than yes. uh, the other one that we just discussed. But there are patches of very strong colour, like magentas and sort of yes, orange. That pink. Mm. That's just beautiful, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is translucent, really, which gives it that glowing effect. But there's also the greys around it, which mm. which really make it pop. And it does have a little bit, I must say, a bit of a landscape feel for me down the bottom. And you've got a lot of lines on this one too, dark, mm. dark sort of lines. Mm. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, but also, most strikingly, and something you've been doing for, for a few years now, is this effect of the fluid dripping of the paint. Yes, well, the paint does that because it's acrylic, you know, really. And uh, you find people using acrylic have dribbles that they can use, you know. I mean, that looks like a veil in front of what's behind it because there are so many there. But sometimes I wipe them out because I don't want them. Or um, they're just part of what happens when you put on the paint. So, mm. so the dripping is a, is a side product of what you're doing or is that... A, a, you, you, it's you, just what the paint does it by itself. You know, I was talking before about what brushes do on their own. So it's, it's something I use. And how important to your practice is um, colour? Oh, I, I love colour. I think, well, I say I'm a colourist. You know, I mean, colour and I are one. <laughs> uh, and and you, you said before that there are uh, greys and, you know, I use tertiary colour against pure colour and uh, just to, to make it do what it does. I mean, if you don't have any tertiaries, it's too bright. Mm. And one, so the one thing affects another. Yeah, definitely. Would you would you find that at the uh, that when you've progressed quite far with the painting, you're going to you you might make radical decisions about colour? Like, I mean, is it constantly? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, looking at this one because we're looking at an image of it um, here, I can remember that part on the left. On the left, giving me um, I needed to do something. It just wasn't working in in the composition, so. Uh, you know, I paint it over, change things, but I can, I can paint over and get rid of things and bring things back. I'm quite confident about that mm. now. You know, I don't think, oh, I've got to leave that bit because that's, uh, I want it. So sometimes, even yeah, sometimes things yeah. have to go. And then even you, if you're sort of attached to them in a way. Yes, yeah. it, yes. Uh, I think WB8 said, get rid of your darlings. Yeah. And so that, you know, he was, he was talking about poetry. So you can't hang on to everything but you can know and this is what I would say to students it'll come back it's yours you know you've if it's been there before it, you know, it'll you can it'll find you again mm. and you know another interesting thing that I hear artists talk about and I'm interested in your opinion on this especially with abstract art is this idea of having tension in a painting mm -hmm. do you think I don't quite know what that means. <laughs> do you, do you, can you explain what that, what that might be? Um, yes, it's not something I particularly talk about, but I do hear other artists talking about it. It's, so to, to give it my name, it's, it's relationships between things and it's to do with that composition, yes. Yeah, the tension between things. Right. So it's not the way you would necessarily think about it. What do they say? And I can find it. out something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't remember where I got But yeah. I've heard people yeah. talk about that it's important yeah. to have tension in a painting. Or yeah. not important, but, yes. but yes. that it can be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I presume yeah. it means something that doesn't quite Well, a painting can right. just fall away, you know, without... Uh, but perhaps they're talking about that bit of strength in it that it mm. needs in a certain place at a certain time. Like a certain line. Like, a certain like that, that water gushing out in that, mm. in that yeah. painting yes, we were talking mm. about. Yes, yes. Um, All where, those lines there, perhaps, can, on the bottom can, of this painting, form. Mm. Maybe it means tension between things. It's, it, tension means 
tension between two things, doesn't it? Mm. You, you can't have a, a well, tension, tension on its own. I mean, just think of a, a, a cable that had, has tension. It's because it's pulled both ends. Mm. It means different things in different circumstances. Yes, that's right. It depends what context you're yes, talking about. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, do you think about, in, in the context of this painting, the glowing that we're looking at now, is light and form important in these works? Do you think in those terms at all when you're painting this sort of thing? Yes, light and form uh, is everywhere, isn't it, mm. when you talk about it? Um, I suppose you think about more like a 3D thing, though, don't you? And do you consider mm. your these paintings have a three-dimensional quality to them? Uh, yes, because I'm putting things in front and behind and making things solid and not solid. And mm. Perhaps we're talking about the tension between those things. Yeah. Um, ah, the thing I talk about a lot is air. You know, I'm painting air and space. So they're the unsaid things that are at play with the, uh, the things that are there. And some things are lighter and some things dark. This is a particularly light painting, isn't it? Mm. It's uh, full of light. Yeah. And, uh, and I can see I've used the paint in a very thin way there and much thicker elsewhere. You know? mm. Yes, which... So it's contrasting. That's right. Mm. Now... One of the things, the other things I was interested in you saying is that you have learnt over the years to take more risks and invite more freedom. Mm. So is that freedom to not care about wrecking the painting? Is that the sort of freedom you're talking about? Yes, it has to be. Mm. And how would you take more, how do you find that you take risks? Do you, can you identify... Probably a bit hard to ask you that, but no, it's, I like hard questions. Um, thinking, <laughs> um, to, yeah, you've got to let something go that you, that that doesn't look kind of strong enough or worthwhile, you know. Um, in order to put something else that you're wanting to see. How would you, what, when you say um, strength in a painting, what do you, th I mean, it's almost impossible to say, I know, it's hard for you to express in words, but are there any, is there anything you would say would denote a strong painting? Uh, I mean, I, I immediately think a strong painting is something dark and with strong lines and boom. Um, but, but you could think of a, a Turner with, you know, watery painting and that's, you wouldn't call that a weak painting, could no, you? No, no, that's right. So it depends what you mean by strength. Yeah. You know, that's the meaning of the word strong. Well, I suppose what, actually, you know what, I think, because we were talking about it before and I said, oh, don't say anything because we'll say it on the podcast. Mm. <laughs> Remember yeah. we were talking about what is it about a painting that makes you want to come back and look at it again, whereas other paintings, you ah. hasn't got that. Yeah, that what's a good painting back. and what's not a yeah. good painting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as if we all knew what a good painting was, <laughs> we'd all be fantastic artists. Yeah, yeah. Um. Of course, you've got to think some work appeals to some people and not to others, but. You know, why does a, a painting become great? Like a Piero della Francesca or mm. Titian. That is a hard question, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, I suppose um, it's like Because saying. it does, it's also, you're not the only, you're not the person judging it, you know. It become great over over time. Mm. Oh, and I mean, immediately with a question like that, think of Van Gogh, and I've got a picture of his work up there, um, and how he was not considered anything, not mm. considered worth thinking about or certainly not buying. And then over time, 
it's, it's the seriousness of the work, perhaps, that, that makes it great. It's the seriousness to do with the very thing of life itself. And the very, and the subject that's being depicted. And, and the people that can actually pick that up. You know, like, uh, I've just, uh, as I said before, recently seen the Monets and the Monet water lilies in particular, which I just, every time I go in there, I'm just so moved emotionally. Mm. And uh, it's, you know, it's a lot to do with the reverence that the painting is given. And it wasn't, you know, always given that. Mm. And it's then it's to do with, oh, I'm here amongst, you know. I mean, the first time I saw them, I just cried. And because they're actually seeing their mono water lilies. And yeah. uh, so I suppose it's that depth of, of perception mm. that a great p a painting can have. Mm. Great and, paintings can have. And mm. do you think, and I, pr I presume all those sort of usual things that we think about, colour, composition and all that stuff, it must play into it to a certain extent. Yeah, but you extent. don't think about that when you're looking at great work. No. But perhaps that's part of your, you know, person's education. I mean, I, th I think you have to be educated to look at art. Mm. Um, well, that's probably, yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think also... It's knowledge, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it also yes. helps seeing a lot of it too. Mm. And seeing a lot of it is education. Yeah. You see, it's a particular kind of education. It's not, mm. not the same, perhaps, as, uh, as the written word. Mm. Well, you were mentioning Monet, and um, I wanted to talk about briefly about your uh, love of France and mm. um, how, how did that begin? Because you've been to, you, you've, you regularly return to France. You spend a lot of time mm. there. You've, rent, you've been, mm. had residencies at the Cité many times. Yes. You've had... Um, also rented studios there from mm. time to time. Mm. Mm. Uh, what is it about France that you that you think that that draws you? I I think it's it's the history because I was also given a residency in, in the Arthur Boyd studio in Italy, mm. and I don't know why, but I felt I had to choose <laughs> between <laughs> Italy and France, and and I still think oh maybe I made the wrong choice, um, but <laughs> but but. What I was choosing was a place that I could deeply study and be part of, become, that could become part of my work as, a, as an artist. And, and that was part of my history of, of being, being a European artist, you know, because we are part of that. Mm. And, you know, there's also part of my thinking that likes to be part of being to do with Aboriginal work and mm. I go out a lot and look at rock art mm. and and I love Aboriginal painting and and what they what they do and they've influenced me a lot so it's not a single path but uh, I also wanted to learn French and I still still go to you know French uh, <laughs> talking mm. classes once a week and I speak oh, French when I'm there and, right. and uh so it's, and, and it's the like whole it. culture as it's well. The whole culture. It's the mm. whole. Uh, and uh, but when I first went to to France and got that, I was looking at Italian art at the Louvre. I was looking at those early Italians. So it's not French uh, art is not just French art. No, French art is European art. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose staying in Paris is is. And um, Paris is Paris, mm, and it's the architecture mm, and mm. and. Uh, and everything about it. Mm. I also, it was interesting um, you saying that you go to the studio there, but you you basically are working in the studio the whole time. It's not as mm. if you're going out into the landscape or anything and experiencing it in that way. No, no, I don't paint. I don't paint the landscape. I don't go there to paint France. It was interesting mm. seeing that mm. painting in your house that the colours that mm. you had painted in France, so the colours were, were sort yes, of Yes, it always different. seems to be different, yes, yes. Yeah. So I'm painting from, yes. Yes, so those are the things, the imperceptible things that come into the, the work that you can't always name or talk about, and certainly not before they're done. Mm. Hard enough after they're done. Mm. 
Well, actually, you travel as well. Mm. Actually, there's a show coming up at Defiance Gallery mm. in uh, on the 23rd of September, which mm. is only a few weeks away from today. Mm. It sounds like a great exhibition because it's the third one in a series where the Australian Wildlife Conservancy have got together with Defiance Gallery and a few others mm. to to send artists out into sanctuaries that the Australian mm. Wildlife Conservancy yes, Conservancy yes, have got. Which I didn't realise that they had they managed these vast areas. No, of I these didn't sanctuaries. That. Yes, it's amazing. Yes. And it's to save, you know, uh, yeah, animals from cats. Really. So the feral cats. The feral cats, yes. So yeah. it's really, so that, and they're raising money basically in these, yes, these to, shows. And uh, to keep these vast sort of properties in, with enough money to run them, you know. If, ah. and, and they have young uh, scientists working there with, with the animals and the landscape. Right, and mm. this well, the way, the place well. you went to was called New Haven, yes. and it's sort of uh, it's sort of northwest of Alice Springs. Mm. Um, what was that like? What was the landscape like? It's quite it's sort of a desert, arid landscape. Well, that? I arrived there, and I'd seen what other artists had done on on a, a similar thing, and I expected to see rocks and big things, and I, oh, it's empty. <laughs> 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 so it's quite flat. Yes, it's vast. You know, but it's Australian. It's the desert, really, I suppose. Oh, yeah. But it's, you know, it's got grasses and things. But of course, once you look, it's so full and so wonderful. The light and the air and how it's activated. And then they took us to different places to paint, and then you just see, you know, different things. And of course, there. There are rocks and trees and, so, you know, there's just, oh, when you begin to learn so much. And, yeah. and I was, I've been thinking a lot lately about time. You know, we had two weeks there, but, but time can expand. Like two weeks in a place like that can be so much. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I just had two weeks in China and I was thinking, so, it's so much when you're there totally engaged all the time, I think. Oh, it's, that's perhaps right. it's no using time. What is it about that? It's, mm, but, uh, but then well, when I got like back... Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say, mm. somewhere like that, mm. there's something about that landscape mm. that slows down time as well, I would Yes, 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 that's right, yes. Uh, and, and the heat. Uh, and no. that's true. So you're looking at something that has, been, that has the stamp of age on it and, uh, and then you're able to look at it from above, from a helicopter, which was wonderful, and... Uh, and then you're able to think of what Aboriginal people are able to see in their landscape. They, they see it as a whole. They don't look at it. They don't look at it in, as a frontal thing. It's something that they live in and are a part of. And uh, so it gave me a chance to think more about that. And, uh, and then when I came back and did the big paintings, I was able to use that distance and memory and in my experience of how I paint things to paint what's, what comes out, which you'll see in that, in that exhibition. Mm, mm, I'm looking forward to that. You also mentioned <laughs> China. So that's it. I just wanted to quickly touch on the fact that you also do a lot of sculpture. Even though this is Talking with Painters podcast, I do want, because this is a huge part of your work, you, you, you've been known to do huge installations. I mean, there was the one you did in Seville in 1992 for mm. the expo, which was a, an amazing construction. Yeah, that was like, 11 metres high. Yeah, mm. 11 metres high with ropes and pulleys yes. and like a boat. It, it was, was like really a boat. It was amazing. <laughs> but you also do a lot of uh, painting on ceramics and that's what you're doing in China. Yes, I've taken to that lately and, uh, and I love it. And I, and. And what I want now is big ceramics, big porcelain things to paint on. So in, in China, they sent me into the factory at Xinjiang to paint on porcelain things. It was just wonderful, and I can't wait to do more. Yeah. But I'm having a show with uh, Joe Furlonger, who was the other artist. He painted landscape a lot outside and on rolled-up canvas. And we're having a show and being given a show in Hong Kong next year. Oh, that'll mm. be great. Mm. And what what... So you were saying to me that you actually, you, you like painting on a sort of three-dimensional object. Yes, because I'm painting around and it moves around, you know. It's, it's quite a different thing to painting on, on a square canvas. 
Well, the composition would be different. When I, yes, yes, I t I, it suits me. I, lo I love it. Actually, you know what, I, just, I was going to ask you this. I forgot, I forgot to ask you this earlier, but I want to talk a bit about process. And, and in particular, you, you've used both oils and acrylics. Mm. Is, what would make you choose one over the other? These are very practical reasons. Um, I learned to paint with oil paint. And, uh, and a wonderful thing my father did was say, you can buy your paints at Dimmock's where I have an account. So I bought the best oil paints, which were available at the time, Windsor and Newton. And uh, so I really learned how, what oil paint could do. Mm. And, and I loved it. And then when I had children, I, f uh, I felt that it was dangerous to have oil paint around. Oh, so yes. that's how I switched to acrylic paint. And, oh, okay. But by then I was using, I think I was using oil paint in bowls because that's what the Americans were doing. I always mix in bowls, by the way, not, oh, on, okay. not on a palette uh, for big things. And um, so then I used acrylic. When the ch yeah, and then when the children were, grew up and was, was all, I went back to oil paint again. I found that the paintings were deeper, you know, because mm. I was getting rid of the paint with a heat gun, scraping it off and, you know, and using it. You can see when I talk, you can't see in this uh, interview, <laughs> but I use my hands a lot. <laughs> so I'm talking about getting in there. Yeah. And, uh, what you um, mean, you use a heat gun with the oil paint? Yes, to get, yes because you can, melt, you can melt it off. Oh, you know. okay. I didn't mm. know that. Mm. That's interesting. Yes, yes. And then a few years ago, oh, it's too hard washing all these bowls and paints <laughs> and brushes every night. You know, it takes half the day. Oh, yeah, and, I know, uh, the brushes. And so I thought I'm going to use acrylic more. I started oh, to use acrylic. Okay. And, and then I grew to love acrylic paint. Yeah. And, uh, and Cam said, why don't you use oil paint? He loves those oil paintings. And, uh, and <laughs> so, uh, but... But I think, uh, but I love acrylic paint and what it can do, and you can mix pigment with it, and you can mix glue, and you can stick things onto it. So uh, that's giving me plenty. Well, talking about brushes, I love just painting. I love paint, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really matter which, what sort it is. Well, it matters in that you've got to work with it, you know. Mm. 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 Well, with the brushes, mm. I read somewhere that you can use thirty brushes at a time. Is that right? Ah. Yes, well, when, I'm, when I was painting, I would use a different brush for every colour, you see. Mm. So if I would be washing them and I think, God, that was a big day, I used 30 brushes. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, I see. So is that, that's important so that you don't, they, they don't get muddied or anything, the colours don't? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. But if I'm doing something small, you know, you can wash out the brush. Yeah, easily. Yeah, easily. rather than a big brush, yeah. And you were saying before that you, you were you really drawn to the Chinese brushes. Oh, yes. What, what is it about that? Well, I, I already use Chinese brushes, but when I was there, well, there were Chinese brushes for sale. <laughs> I bought a lot. <laughs> and and I, loved, I loved painting on the, uh, um, on the pottery with those brushes because it just puts the paint on you know, in such a wonderful way. Is it like that? You mean like those mop ones? Is mm. it like that sort of thing? Yes, yes, yeah. Ah. Yeah, it's big ones or small ones or long ones. Uh, it, it's just the way of put, using the paint and t the pa you mean the paint talk, you know, and, and be... The Chinese use it traditionally, you know, a lot, and that's all they do with calligraphy. That's what they're doing. It's, the, it's that conversation between the brush and the paper and the hand and the arm, you know, the whole of... Oneself, but I discovered that early on. You know, it's the way I paint. The brushes are important. Mm, mm. Mm. And I don't always, you know, like to have the best br soft brushes. I just use brushes that are rather scrubby, or mm. you know. But obviously, you use with with your large works. They've got to be they're big brushes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, mm. yeah. And do you find that they they last? Oh, uh, no, I can just throw them in the bin sometimes because they're cheap. <laughs> oh, okay. Do you get them in the hardware store or anything mm. like that ever? Or oh, sometimes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. 
Um, I remember I was staying with this with somebody in Paris, and I came home and oh, look what I bought! And he expected me to pull out, you know, bring this wonderful articles of clothing and, <laughs> and brushes. <laughs> Unlike you. Oh, yeah, that would just be so exciting. Yeah. I mean, going into an art store is like, oh, yes, yes, heaven. Yes, heaven. yes, yes. Um, and we're sitting in your studio now. It's an absolutely wonderful space. It's so lucky to have such a huge space. Mm. And um, uh, you have lots of materials hanging around. So you've got, oh, I see some oil sticks as well. And you've got gouache. A lot of gouache works on the walls. Do you, is it important to keep using different? I think materials? I have different stations for different things, so that's fortunate. Um, so the oil sticks is something I always used to do when I went to Paris, and uh, and so I did certain things. I've got a, a book of of those which I'll give you. Mm. Um, and uh, but when I came back to Australia, it was hot. They were melting and they didn't do the same thing at all. <laughs> and uh, so I put those to one side. And, uh, and then gouache is something I've taken up more recently and I'm in love with gouache now. And uh, so what I use do you different... Like, what do you like about that? Uh, I love the way it... It's not quite like watercolour, although it is a water-based paint, but you can paint over things and, uh, yeah, and make, some, make something else happen. Yeah, mm. but it still has that. But it's still it's still different to acrylic. It still has still rather watery look mm. about it sometimes. Mm. Particularly when I was painting recently in the rainforest and it rained. It was raining all the time and the water was kind of still damp and I loved that touch of, of water, water paint and watery atmosphere. And also, you've you've uh, taught at one time or another at all the major art schools mm. in Sydney. Mm. Mm. I, I was sort of saying to someone the other day, it, to be an art teacher must be so difficult because you have to try and get into the head of that mm. person, mm, as to mm, their mm. personality, because yeah. you otherwise you just teach them the way you paint. I think I learned very early on when I was learning in Brisbane. I went, went into uh, one teacher's class, John Rigby, and they were all painting like John Rigby. Yeah. And, and you know, he was a good <laughs> artist and that was nice. And then I went into Mulvig's class and everyone was painting differently. And that's and I learned a lot from John Mulvig about ah, teaching right. and being a painter. And, uh, you know, so, uh, so I hope that I brought that sort of thing to my students. Um, and also, I learned that they have... To, to try and give them confidence, it's confidence in themselves and their own uh, creativity and capability. Yes, and not say that's wrong. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think that's one of the most difficult yeah, things. And, yeah, I, yeah. and with, not frighten them, you know. I mean, yeah. it, it, some, it, some teaching can be make people frightened that they're not able to do it or something. Yeah. And, and they, they are able to. Well, you're almost like a bit of a counsellor. Oh, because, yes, that too, yes, yes. <laughs> because there's a lot of insecurity, I think, with mm. a lot of people mm. who are starting mm. to learn. Mm. And I, I don't know if it's because through mm. childhood, you know, they've been told something that, you know, something's not good and then you just carry that through. But, um, yeah, you've got to deal with all of that sort of thing. When I was teaching in Brisbane, that was the first time I'd been allowed into an art school and... Uh, so that was in the 70s, and uh, it seemed to me they, all those students were pretty keen, most of them. I think they th thought then, oh, we're going to art school and learn to be artists. So we, <laughs> so we had uh, Noel McKenna, Joe Furlonger, uh, Fiona MacDonald, uh, Ruth Propsting, who sadly died, who was a great artist. Uh, I mean, I, I could name about ten people from ah. two years of teaching that became artists. I never struck that again. Maybe they and fed off each other a bit. You know, yes, but. yes, because uh, oh, and the same when I was teaching in Newcastle. You know, they'd come into that art school, they knew nothing, <laughs> and then yeah. they, they came out came out after three years um, educated and and able to talk about art. And that mm. was one thing I loved about uh, about you know kids, young people. Um, there's so much to say about teaching and people and, and, and to watch them 
over the, it's three years now. See, when I went out of school, it was five years. And to, to find their own space and their capabilities and to, to the, but uh, I think it's so important for students to have that teaching, you know, to have that teaching from, from the, the master, you know, the mm. person who's been, who's had experience. Well, the other problem, though, with teaching, I presume, yeah. is there's so much to teach that it, 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 you've got to be selective and you've got to just, you can only just sort of touch the surface in a way, as far as technique goes, say, do you think? Or, or colour, say, this is what something I often talk about in podcasts, is sort of, there's so much to learn about colour that it's very mm. hard to just teach it. Yes, yes. I don't know. I wouldn't like to be teaching right now. Um, I've done my time of teaching prep. No, that's not true. I'm always teaching. I'm always telling people things. And I think, <laughs> God, that's the teacher in me coming out again. <laughs> um, I, but I was looking at a book on Passmore, and I thought, he told you everything he knew, in a way, if you were, if you were able to pick it up. Yeah. Because uh, some of the things he said were so profound that you'd think six months later or probably even longer, aha, that's what he meant. Yeah. So I think if you're a good teacher, you've got to give it all. Other, other uh, I've heard artists say, oh, don't tell them everything. Why not? Yeah, I say. exactly. I know. I know you come Because they can only like pick up so much. You yeah. can only pick up so much, you know. And, and they're life. not going to. And also, it's not as if they're going to beat you. And, <laughs> it's not a competition. <laughs> oh, they might. Oh, they might. <laughs> I yeah. have known it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, that's what it is. I don't know. Ah, yes. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, you know, if, uh, people wanting to hang on to what they've got, but you can't. Yeah. Um, Yes. Yeah. So, and people, people are influenced by others, and that's good, and they go on to it. When I was teaching at Skeggs, uh, people would say, for I was Mrs. Walker then, Mrs. Walker, she took my idea. And I said, well, that's good. Now you've got to think of another idea. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to ask you was, was what, whether you have a routine, um, a daily routine. It, it, it changes, you know, and, and it's changed lately now that I'm older. I can't paint as long hours, you know, but uh, I would, what I'd like is to just go into the studio. But I, I find these other things like computers and things so hard. So I have to get someone in to help me, and then it takes up even more time. Yeah, the t yeah I must say that the dealing with all of that if side of things. Forget all that, you know, you'd have more. Sometimes I just feel like going away and. And uh, I mean, lately I've been thinking I need somebody to just come and help in the right way, but I don't quite know how. Yeah. But, but I've got, I'm having a, quite a good little run at the moment, so it doesn't matter, you know. You've just got to paint and forget the other stuff, I think, yeah. and just get in here and, uh, and mm. start. And, and But I understand you also swim a lot? Yes, well, that's part of my routine. I get up and... Uh, and and get down to the beach and swim, have a cup of coffee, come back, try not to look at the computer or anything else, and uh, wander into the studio and pace about, get going. <laughs> and is that, would you swim in winter? I mean, uh, well, I've always been known as somebody who swims through winter, and I'm afraid now uh, it's got a bit less this year. So, But I go up north so I can get warm water. Oh, right. uh, you know, so water, water and... and being underwater and seeing things through water is very much part of my subject matter. Mm. In a way. Mm. Yeah, actually, I didn't touch on that, but that's very true. Mm, mm. Yeah, there's, uh, that's a very strong um, mm, mm. Uh, it's a theme, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. Um, Which I'm always surprised at everything that comes through. I think, oh, oh, that's that. That's that. That's, oh, that's that coming through. Well, in your last show at Defiance Gallery, you also had um, those sort of sea creatures. Yes, that became a theme, yes. Yeah. And that just came through, you know. Everything I did was to do with fish and trap. But I was just sitting here with, were they all sticks and yes, things? And yeah, yeah. started off doing things and then they all became part of that. Oh, yes, and some yeah. were gouache, that's right. Yeah. And some were, were paintings and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Anne, thank you so much for having me in your wonderful studio. It's been wonderful Thanks. hearing about your um, life and your work and good luck with the show coming up at Defiance. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming. Mm -hmm.
What a wonderful artist. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Anne Thompson. Go to the website for links to things we talked about as well as details of Anne's upcoming shows and watch out for that video. Also, if you're in Melbourne on the 22nd of September, come along to Town Hall Gallery in Hawthorne where I'll be interviewing the wonderful Jackie Stockdale who has work in a group exhibition at the gallery brought together by Elona Nelson. If you haven't heard about Alona, she's an artist herself and does a lot to support Australian female artists through interviews, exhibitions and events. And she has her own art podcast called This Wild Song, which is worth checking out. I'll be putting up details of the event on social media. So if you come along, make sure to come up and say hello. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. Because I think for artists, when they create something, they can even be surprised themselves by what they've created. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Do you feel like that sometimes? Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Well, that's one of my aims, is to surprise myself so that you're not just doing what you've done before. You know? mm. So mm. that's why I often say that, I want to surprise myself.